Welcome to Montrose Bible Church. We're so glad you've chosen to join us as Pastor Matt and other church leaders challenge us with a message from God's Word. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to the new year. You know, this is the day when uh, many are asked, what's your New Year's resolution? For most people, a resolution means doing something like losing weight. Maybe they're going to try to stop smoking. And certainly, most resolutions are positive things. The problem is that the power or the strength to make that change is in the person themselves, or so they think. That means that the vast majority of them are failures. And even a partial success only leads to a false pride. I find it interesting that this thought of starting over and recreating a a part of our life is a lot like our Christian rebirth, the idea of being reborn and being a new creation. So the new year can actually serve as a reminder to us that we have been reborn, and it could be an opportunity for us to evaluate how our Christian walk is going, maybe even committing to handing over one of those things that we have been struggling with to a God who really does have the ability to come into our lives and make changes. These are changes we cannot make on our own and require a humble spirit that recognizes that fact. So maybe instead of saying, I don't do New Year's resolutions, We can resolve to take a a real look at how we are handling this new life in Christ and find an area where we need to ask God to, to change us in his strength, changing the focus from what I think and what I can do for myself to what God can do in me this year. So I say this New Year's Day, not only Happy New Year, but Blessed New Year. Now today, we will be finishing up our time in 1 Peter. We'll be looking at chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now, it's been a long time since we've talked about 1 Peter, so let's go back and look at a few things here. First of all, this is a letter, or an epistle, and it was sent as comfort and encouragement to a group of churches that were about to experience horrible persecution. Now, these people weren't living a life of luxury already, And things were going to get a lot worse for them. The early Christians in these churches are called to be examples of what faith in Jesus looks like in the face of persecution. The characteristics that Peter writes about in his letter are very easily applied to our lives in our times. In the first chapter, the believers are encouraged to continue to rejoice in the great gift of salvation that they have received. They are told that this gift is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. That they are protected by the power of God through their faith. And that the outcome of this faith is the salvation of their souls. In spite of this blessing that they enjoy, and in anticipation of what is to come in eternity, Peter encourages them to Prepare for the coming persecution. 
Now, preparation did not involve building an army. Um, It did not involve building defensive fortifications. But rather, they were going to gird their minds for action. This war that they would be fighting would be won not by a military response, but by holiness of their character, as displayed in their life. Peter cites the life of Christ as an example of what this life looks like. In the midst of all the uncertainty that they would be enduring, they are called to be living stones, all part of this spiritual house that they are part of where spiritual sacrifices are offered to God through Christ. This picture of the church hasn't changed. We, too, are called to be part of this spiritual building. Each one of us, a living stone, joining together to be the church. In order to honor God, Peter is going to ask the churches to take on some difficult tasks. And as we've seen, the tasks prove just as difficult for us today. We begin with submission. The idea of placing ourselves under someone else's authority. Peter explains to the young church that because God rules over everything, even when it appears that we are submitting to men, in reality, we are submitting only to God through the people that he has placed in positions of authority. The only authority they have comes from God. The Christian churches are called to have order in their homes as husbands and wives. Then comes, perhaps, the most difficult call for all of us, the command about how to respond to persecution. Now, I don't know about you, but I would feel perfectly justified to fire right back when I'm fired upon. Most of the time, that's verbal. But it doesn't matter whether it's verbal or physical. We are told not to return evil for evil. But because we received blessing, we are to pass on blessing. If we truly believe all that Peter has told us so far, then we will understand that there is no one who can harm us for doing good, even when we are confronted with evil. We are to do good things keeping a good conscience, one that is rooted in God's word. You will notice this is how the church is to be seen. Not just one person in the assembly, not just the leaders, but all of us. The members of these churches will be relying on each other to hold fast to their beliefs and continue to glorify God through Christ. This brings us to 1 Peter 5. So today we'll be looking at 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 11. So if you'll open your Bibles or follow along on the screens. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, 
Be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for your word. Lord, may we value it beyond measure. Give us the ability to discern how we can apply these things to our life. Give us the ability to see this race through to completion, that we might bring you honor and glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you'll notice right away that Peter uses the term elders in verse 1. It's the Greek word presbyteros. And verse 1 goes like this. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partake also of the glory that is to be revealed. So a lot of times we struggle with the fact that this is addressed to only a small group of people. But remember that we were told that the great shepherd was to be our example, and we were to follow them, follow him. And so therefore, these elders that are among you are the people that you should be following. You should be using them as an example. Now, that's a lot of pressure on those elders to fill that role. Elder doesn't always necessarily talk about an office, Sometimes it talks about a a larger role in the church. Peter, for example, served as an elder to the church while he may never have held an office in a local body. He is doing this as a fellow elder or leader and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, while there is no record of Peter attending the crucifixion, it is assumed that he would have been there And here, Peter claims that to be true. He also claims to be a partaker in the glory that is yet to be revealed. The word partaker means to join in on an activity or an event. Peter is using his role in the life of Jesus and his role in the infant church as a means of lending authority to his teaching on leadership. Part of the Christmas story involves the angel sharing the good news with the shepherds in the field, and the shepherds then telling others about the birth of Jesus. Today, Peter is using the role of shepherd to teach us about church leaders. Look at verse 2. Peter says, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. 
This concept of shepherding is probably difficult for us. We understand that a shepherd leads or governs a flock of sheep. That is why the term is used here. But the role of a shepherd isn't understood in the same way as it was in the time of Christ. Peter also uses the term among, which when applied to the church would mean people that you are in fellowship with. It is possible that the concept of this shepherd is used by Peter because it is what Jesus called him to three times in John 21, verses 15 to 17. Let's read there. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Here Peter is called by Jesus to feed and tend his flock. We often forget that the shepherd was responsible for feeding the sheep. We always think of the shepherd as standing out there in the field with their little crooked stick and watching over them and when something comes along, chasing it away. Now sheep may not be the smartest animals. And I can recall feeding sheep at my father-in-law's house. You had to be careful, or you'd get trampled in the process of feeding. The sheep were anxious to eat, and when one moved quickly, all of a sudden they would all just move right along, kind of like a stampede. I also learned to watch out for certain sheep, the rams in particular, because they had little weapons on their head. If you think of the crowds that followed Jesus, And now we're looking to the apostles for teaching. They too were hungry for the word. The word of God that was being revealed to them. And these teachings were oral with very limited writings. Think of the excitement of the early church getting a letter from an apostle. Today, fortunately for us, the Christian who is hungry for those same teachings that the early church received can now go to the Bible and get the very same teachings as recorded for us. How about tending to a flock? Once again, I only have limited exposure to this, but I can tell you that sheep will test your patience and they will make you wonder why anyone would want to have sheep. Peter warns that this is shepherding. And that is what he's calling the leaders to. But it's to be done in a very certain way. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. So in verse 2, he completes that thought. The oversight of the body is to be done voluntarily, or as called, or according to the will of God. 
It is also not to be done for sordid gain. Now, that might seem like an odd thing to say. But remember what Peter saw of the religious leaders of the day. The leaders had become corrupt, concerned with themselves and and not the flock they were to serve. The leaders here are called to eagerness. That means enthusiasm, excitement. Peter completes this thought in verse 3. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. The leader is called to be an example of what the flock should be. Jesus demonstrates what his commitment to the flock is in John 10, starting in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus lays down his life for us, his sheep. That is the commitment of a good shepherd. There is a distinction here that needs to be made, though. In the example here, Jesus owns the sheep. The church leader is shepherding a flock that doesn't belong to him. They are the flock of Jesus. When Peter uses the words lording over in verse 3, he's letting leaders know that they cannot lord over the sheep that they have been entrusted with. Because the sheep already have an owner or Lord, that is Jesus Christ. The leader also doesn't choose his sheep. The flock that are to be tended belongs to Jesus. The flock is the flock Jesus gives to the shepherd. Peter explains what the reward will be for the leader who shepherds in the proper way. Look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When the owner of the sheep returns to survey his flock, the tenders that he has left in charge will be judged for the quality of their shepherding. Peter really only tells us about the shepherd who does the job as they're called to do, stating, then they will receive a crown of glory. Peter doesn't speak of the bad shepherd. The promise of a crown is not only applied to leaders. In James 1.12, this same concept is applied to all who love Jesus and serve as they are called. Look at James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Here the crown is a crown of life, which is promised to those who love him. Peter is going to change his focus now from leaders to believers. Look at verse 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter starts by reminding young men to be subjected 
to their elders. This Greek word for subject is hupotasa. And we have seen it a number of times before in Peter. In 1 Peter 2, 13, Peter writes, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority. And again in 1 Peter 3, 1, In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. It also occurs in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. We all cringe at the idea of subjection. But we are to be in subjection to many people, including one another. This requires the humility that Peter speaks of when he calls us to clothe ourselves in humility toward one another. The interesting word in this phrase is the word clothe. It seems to be a a word that we don't see very often. It's rarely used, and it's in reference to the practice of donning an apron prior to serving. So it was a mark of humility. What are some other marks of humility? Willing to perform lowliest services for Jesus. Recognizing that we can't do anything without God. Willingness to be ignored by the rest of the world. Not self-deprecating, but self-forgetful. Becoming others-centered instead of self-centered. That's submission to others. We must set aside pride to be humble. Charles Spurgeon writes, If you are willing to be nothing, God will make something of you. The way to the top of the ladder is to begin at the lowest round. In fact, in the church of God, the way up is to go down. But he that is ambitious to be at the top will find himself before long at the bottom. Peter uses an Old Testament concept that's found in Proverbs 3.34 when he writes, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's a concept you'll also find in James chapter 4, verse 6. It seems obvious by this point in Peter's letter that the idea of humility is central to the Christian life for all Christians. We start the next verse with the word, therefore. So all of this discussion about leaders and shepherds leads to this line. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In verse 7, we see Peter attack another problem. Anxiety. Notice that in verse 7, we're told to cast all of our anxiety on God. The word cast implies action. It doesn't say lay aside your anxiety or let your anxiety fall. It says to cast your anxiety. The term implies throwing it away from you, 
We're putting a distance between you and your anxieties. You are not only to cast them away, but cast them on him, God. Because he cares for you so much that he wants to take your anxiety away from you. Spurgeon used the illustration of a man who came to move your furniture. But he carried a huge and heavy backpack of his own. He complains that he finds it difficult to do the job of moving your furniture. Would you not suggest that he would find it easier if he laid his own burden aside that he could carry yours? In the same way, we cannot do God's work when we are weighed down by our own burdens and worries. Cast them upon him, then take up the Lord's burden, which is light burden, and a yoke that fits us perfectly. Anxiety makes us struggle with all of the things that God wants us to accomplish in his name. He is willing to take that anxiety from us so that we can function. Peter goes on to give us an idea of where this anxiety comes from. Look at verse 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour, seeking someone to devour. Peter has used this word sober before. It is the Greek word nepho. And although it can mean not under the influence of alcohol, it has other uses that make more sense in this situation. Here it means more calm and collected in spirit. So the opposite of anxious. If we were to evaluate our lives and look for the causes of anxiety, we would most likely find anxiety during a time when we feel that we are experiencing suffering or difficulties in our life. So take this back to the church and the churches that Peter was writing to. They are about to be punished by the Romans in a horrible way. And he's telling them, don't be anxious. I want you to think of the faith that it takes in order to face that persecution and not be anxious about things. We get anxious about simple things like the car not starting. We get anxious about things that we think are going to happen in the day. Instead of starting our day by just saying, God, you're in charge. Let's go. And casting that anxiety away. The reason this anxiety grows is because the devil prowls around seeking someone to devour. He sees us struggling. So he makes all kinds of noise, lying, deceiving, cheating, roaring, feeding the anxiety in our life to the point where we become paralyzed, unable to move forward. If we cast those anxieties on God, we become capable of moving ahead as Peter shows us in verse 9. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. If our only burden is the burden God puts on us and we cast off anxiety and don't try to carry the additional load, we can resist the temptation that is placed before us. The temptation to stop moving ahead, stop growing, fall away from maturing relationship into the despair and the depression that keeps us from being close to God. 
we are told to remember that the brothers and sisters in the Lord are going through the very same experience all over the world. And they're winning because of their faith. Casting off the things that hold us down and turning to God for our strength. Look at how Peter closes out this letter. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter tells us God will perfect us, meaning he will mend, repair, make us complete, or make one what, what he ought to be. He will confirm us, makes, make us stable, render us as a constant. He will strengthen us, both our body and our soul. And he will establish us, grounding us or setting us down solidly. To the God who will do this for his people, be dominion or authority, jurisdiction, control forever. God offers to take away the worry and anxiety that makes us ineffective in our attempts to avoid the influence of evil in our lives. We are to cast those things on him. That after our brief struggle, he will make us who we ought to be. That is what he wants us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to be who you want us to be. Please give us the desire to do your will. Help us to recognize the trials of this life in a positive way. Let our struggles be for your glory. Lord, I pray for this body of believers that we might display the humility and obedience we are called to. Give us all hearts that yearn for you. We want to exalt and glorify you in this place. And we pray these things in the name of our risen and ruling Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. I trust you've been blessed by the study of God's Word. For more information about Montrose Bible Church, visit our website, montrosebiblechurch.org. 